1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. This part 13 in our study of baptism in the early church. We're back to Hippolytus and the apostolic tradition. Uh, before we get back to that, it's um, always one of those situations where when I start a series, have like this kind of idea of what hope to accomplish and then by the time you get to the end sometimes you feel like you didn't really accomplish that. I guess in some ways we accomplished what I wanted and another way I think I'm just more frustrated by the situation because you take 2,000 years of church history and nobody within Christianity can yet agree on baptism. Not only is that beyond Frustrating and crazy because once again everyone claims the Bible's the final authority, but then nobody can agree on this very simple subject. Uh, or I say simple, simple in the sense that you think there should be some kind of agreement. Um, but then, if you if you if we were to take everything we've learned in the Didache, Tertullian, and Apollotus up to this point, I mean, do you think do you think we could come to any? Well, now I'm not worried about infant baptism. I'm saying if we just take these three sources, do you think, what, like what things could we write down that there was agreement upon? Water. There's water. You should, you should be baptized. Water. I, don't you think all three sources seem to clearly imply getting into the water? Yeah. Or at least, well, can we say the Didache... And Tertullian clear, seemed to clearly imply that. Don't you agree? I, did, I don't think we've had anything in Hippolytus yet. Yeah, right? So. Do I? You don't think so? Well, I'm saying, do you think Hippolytus... Well, we read ahead, because remember, you get naked and go in, in there. Do I? Well, I know. Y'all, y'all kept reading ahead. I'm okay. just saying... So forget Hippolytus for now. Okay. Okay, forget Hippolytus now. Uh, because we'll, we'll add it to it. But I'm saying, if we just take the Didache and Tertullian, yeah. right... We have, baptism seems to be, I think they all seem to indicate that that's what someone's going to do. Obviously, Tertullian takes it to the point of being required, but everyone should be baptized. It's going to use water, and it seems that both seem to clearly indicate getting into the water. Uh, Tertullian added the whole, like, being anointed with oil after, right? Yes, which would be some kind of sprinkling, obviously. So, but the, the baptism part seemed to be you getting into the water what what are the things you think that there was some kind of agreement on? Uh, some knowledge or for that. Yeah, okay, I think that's true, don't you? Tatolian and Didache seem to agree that there has to be instruction prior to, right? Yes. Right, you have to be instruction prior to anything else. Okay, fasting. fasting seem to uh, all come before before, all right? Anything else you think there was agreement on? Well, I think we can agree that the Didache and the by no means gave any details on how to baptize an eight-day-old eight day, uh, baby. I mean, all everything about it seemed to clearly imply. Well, someone someone has to be instructed. Someone has to fast. Some of these things. Tertullian did seem to kind of mention children, but then he he talked about delaying it. But so and even then he didn't say babies eight days old. So so that. So we, I think we can clearly indicate that. Anything else do you think we can indicate? Now, clearly we see Tertullian brings in it being salvific. Even though there was that kind of, well, you could, you could be saved without it, but then I don't know of a faith that will do this without it. Like it was this weird back and forth. But he, he, he had a hard time just saying, you have to be. He wanted to make exceptions but he seemed to place, over and over, almost implied that, that you had to do it. It was this weird thing, because in some cases, he seemed to indicate that it's what led to the faith, and in some cases, he seemed to indicate faith is what led to the baptism. Remember, it was just really weird back and forth, So, and it was all a little confusing. So, in some ways, I guess that's a good thing, but in other ways, it's so frustrating, right? Because... If, if we, we're, we're here in the middle of nowhere, Texas, right? We're, we're not, quote-unquote, some sophisticated church. And if we can take these two historical sources and go, well, then why, why do all the people who believe in infant baptism act like we're idiots who don't understand? Like, that that's really that really kind of makes me angry, right? Because how can you act like that we don't know what we're talking about when we just looked at two historical... The, the historical sources don't even be in complete agreement. Right? And what's, so for the Didache, where it was 60, between 60 and 100 AD, Tertullian was 215. It's a date, so. Oh, Hippolytus is 215. 225. 197 to 200, all right, 197 to 200, okay? So we, we, we're we early on, and we already see lots of... And it's just so frustrating that that early on, nobody seemed to have it figured out. Like, that's somewhat... That disturbs me greatly, right? That disturbs me greatly, because if the early, early... I mean, that's as early as you can get, and they don't seem to have a clue. And Tertullian is just... I don't even know what in the world he's doing with Scripture. I have no idea what that is. That's not even hermeneutics. I don't even know what in the world that is, right? Uh, Hippolytus seems a little bit more sane compared to Tertullian, which at times you're just like, what? you've lost your ever-living mind, right? I don't even know what's going on. The Didache seemed at least more sane, but it's just, it's just like, if they couldn't figure it out, what are we supposed to do? But I, I definitely can say when anyone acts all morally or intellectually superior, because, well, church history teaches us infant baptism. I with all I mean, I, I've almost lost respect for anyone who would even act like that. Because we I mean, we've got the historical sources available to us. So so when someone acts intellectually superior, you're not intellectually superior because anyone can go read it, okay? It doesn't matter that you went to a school. Anybody can read it, (laughs) right? And we've just taken three sources. All right, so let's get to Hippolytus and see how quickly we can get through this uh, tonight. All right, I'll go back to the intro uh, one more time. Uh, The apostolic tradition of Hippolytus of Rome was composed in approximately 215 in Rome. It it apparently preserved older 2nd century practices which were in danger of falling to disuse or innovation. Now, just once again, just realize, remember, Tertullian was fighting against a supposed cult, right? That was attacking baptism. Apollitus is concerned that things are... falling. Oh, isn't it amazing? Already falling, and what's the exact words? To disuse or innovation. It's 215 AD, for crying out loud. And already, what is happening? Okay, people just moved on to something else. And, and just can you imagine, we're 2023. Can you imagine all the innovation and all the changes and all the things that's fallen to disuse for us? Like, it, it just shows you that Christianity has never really, and I know this is disturbing, but it's, has it ever been fixed? It's been in a constant state of flux and change and innovation and things falling away, which is somewhat disturbing, right? Now, in some ways, you can understand all of the confusion at this point, right? In some ways, you can agree, right? Because between the Didache, Tertullian, and Hippolytus, what do we still not have in all three cases? We do not have a completed canon. They have the Old Testament. They don't have a completed New Testament. So, you, in some ways, you could understand, right? You could understand. But at the same time, what's somewhat disturbing is, but wait a minute. Then, because, because in our minds, don't we kind of see this period of time as like having, there had to have been some kind of authority? There had to have been the apostolic authority? Or very much those who were trained by the apostles? Why wasn't there a universal agreed-upon view on, on baptism? I mean that's that's a kind of a that kind of unnerves me a little bit, right? Because if you have the apostles and in those the apostles trained, I mean you're in the you know one hundreds to two hundreds. You're not that far removed, right? Right. So where where what happened to baptism? I mean. That, that just makes me go, what in the world was going on? At, at least it bothers, it bothers me. Maybe it doesn't bother you, but it bothers me. Right? They go on to say, uh, Hippolytus, a presbyter of the Roman church, uh, at the time was so distraught over the innovating practices of his former friends, the Pope Zephyrinus, Zeph- Zeph- if I can say his name, Zephyrinus, and his successor, uh, Callistus, that he set himself up as history's first anti-Pope. So who was he concerned with? Who was he bothered by? This is what's so interesting. The Pope. (laughs) Now, from a Roman Catholic perspective, this would be, this would cause some problems. Right? Because who's going against the Pope here? Hippolytus. He's the anti-pope. So he's going against the pope. So, so the pope, and, he, and he, he was blaming whom for these innovations? He was distraught over the innovating practices of his former friend, the pope Zephyrinus, and his successor, Callistus. He was upset by the pope and his predecessor. That So... So, was Apollotus right or were the popes right? That that raises some serious questions even there, which, once again, demonstrates that, wait a minute, so did they have the authority? Like, this brings questions of authority, raises all kinds of questions, right? He set himself up as history's first anti-pope. He continued in his role through the the rules of Callistus, successor, Urban Pontius, and in the time of Pope Pontianus, Both he and Pontianus were exiled to Sardinia from all accounts an extraordinary unhealthy place where they were forced to work the mines. Shortly after, in 235, both died there. Sometime before his death, Hippolytus was reconciled to the Roman bishop. The two were martyrs and their bodies were brought back to Rome where they were honorably buried. All right? So, it's just interesting that we see what, what, what was happening here, even in what, 225? I keep, that's a date. 215, 215 all right. Ain't fi- it crazy that even in 215, what did you have happening in the church? Yeah, division and disunity. And the disunity and the division was in regards to what was happening inside the church. Innovation or things following into disuse. Yeah, a position of leader, yeah. You, again, you can get a whole argument about presbyter versus elder versus deacon versus pastor versus bishop and what those terms mean and how their hierarchy of the church. But obviously, you see kind of a hierarchy of the church developing, which is why Rome and others would say, well, you shouldn't be an independent church. You need the hierarchy and we can go all. But even with the hierarchy, what did you have? <laughs> Disagreement and fighting. And, and so who was Right. Was Hippolytus right, or was Zephyrinus right, or was Callistus right? Now, ultimately, Hippolytus is reconciled back to the Roman bishop. Okay, okay. So, um, yes, yeah, or sometime before his death. Sometime before his death, Hippolytus was reconciled, but it's not not pretty close still. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we. Right. right, Yeah. I'm assuming there was some kind of agreement. But the point is, is there was at least a point of time of contention. Yes. All right. So that we can jump down and remember the first uh, paragraph that dealt with, we went with, where did we go with? We went to 17 is where we started. Right. Yeah. Everybody remember? Okay, all right, well, I think we started in 17, all right? And we, I think we actually started, I think, maybe in uh, 16, because then we got into the whole thing about concubines and all of that. If everybody remember all of that, there's, yeah, and there was some craziness there, yes? All right, but we'll start in 17, or oh, we'll start in 17, all right? Cat, uh, yeah, we, I think the word pimp shows up in 16, right? <laughs> Is 16 uh, there, let's see... Uh, where, what, was it, was it, the, yeah, if someone is a pimp who supports prostitutes. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious that that's, that, that's in 16. Uh, that, that, that's made me laugh. It, may, it makes me laugh. All right. But we won't go through all of that. Uh, there was a, a little bit there, but we'll, we'll go to uh, paragraph 17. Catechumens will hear the word for three years, yet if someone is earnest and preserves well in the matter, it is not the time that is judged, but the conduct. All right, so catechumen, now you got the idea of catechumens, right? Catechumens, those going through the process in order to get to what? The gospel, they didn't even hear the gospel. Right, yeah, I know, that's a whole different issue. Or, uh, or- well, baptism. Yeah, they got to go through the three years to get to baptism. Yeah, this is that whole instruction prior to baptism. Just like in the Catholic Church, going through what? Well in some of these cases they're not yes, right. And some of this is specific, right? Okay, yeah, well we'll see yeah, we'll see this a little bit in eighteen. When the teacher finishes his instruction, the catechumens will pray by themselves, separate from the faithful. The women will also pray in another place in the church by themselves. Uh, Whether faithful women or catechumen women, after the catechumens have finished praying, they do not give the kiss of peace, for their kiss is not yet pure. But the faithful shall greet one another with a kiss, men with men and women with women. Men must not greet women with a kiss. All the women should cover their heads, not simply with a piece of linen, which is a proper veil, with the pallium. Um, And we looked up what the pallium is. And remember, we had that whole discussion, if everybody remembers that. Okay, now just uh, immediately what I just want you to remember and and again, what I want you to see is so many people who will go back to uh, it's it's what drives me crazy sometimes about church history. And we talk about it all the time. Everyone loves to go to church history to look for what? No, nobody goes to the church history to look for how they did it. They go to church history to find what they believe is being supported Right. And guess what? If they find something that they don't like or they don't agree with, they throw it out. But then if they'll get into an argument with you, what do they tell you? The early church, the early church, the early church. Well, if you want to go back to the early church, well, first of all, you got three years of instruction. OK, you, you, people are separated. You got all of these things going on that are not typically practiced by anybody. So I, I, I always love that. OK. uh, After the prayer, the teacher shall lay hands upon the catechumens, pray and dismiss them. Whether such is one of the lay people or of the clergy, let him do so. If any catechumen are apprehended because of the name of the Lord, let them not be double-hearted because of martyrdom. If they may suffer violence and be executed with their sins, not removed, they will be justified, for they receive baptism in their own blood. Now, immediately this realizes that they're connecting baptism with salvation, However, you can be saved without it, because if you're martyred, yeah. then your, ba- your blood becomes your baptism, which is just... Once again, this goes back to the never-ending contradiction so many times in Christian theology. And I, everyone pay attention to this. I've stated this so many times. If you make baptism a requirement for salvation, you have to do what? If you make baptism at a requirement for salvation, you have to do what? You, gotta, you, got, you can't make 50 exceptions. You've got to be consistent, right? You can't come along and say, well, 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 the person wanted to, or, well, they died before. You can't make 500 different exceptions. If baptism is required, then it is required. And if anyone dies not being baptized, they are what? They're not saved. You can't. This just... Finding ways around it is so ridiculous. Like, if we're going to start finding ways around it, then what can we say? Well, you're supposed to believe in Jesus, but here's the 72 ways you can get to heaven without believing in Jesus. Like, why don't we just, just throw out all requirements and just everyone goes to, goes to heaven? Right? Everybody goes. But it's, it's, I, oh, it drives me crazy. Paragraph 20. When they are chosen who are to receive baptism, let their lives be examined. Whether they have lived honorably while catechumens, whether they honored the widows, whether they visited the sick, whether they have done every good work, if those who bring them forward bear witness for them that they have done so, so then let them hear the gospel. Which is absolutely crazy. Isn't that the the craziest paragraph you've ever read? When does someone get to hear the gospel? After they prove that they're, they're living a good Christian life. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Hey, uh, you want to hear the gospel? Well, you got to learn. You got to be taught for three years. I don't know what you're being taught for three years. I guess you're not being taught the gospel. After you've done all of the stuff you're supposed to do, then you get to hear the gospel. All right. Okay. Now, I know everyone's reading ahead. All right. Next paragraph. All right. Everybody ready? Okay. If y'all read ahead, then y'all can just <laughs> y'all can just tell me what it says. All right. Here we go. Next part. Our next part. From the time at which they are set apart, place hands upon them daily so that they are exercised. When the day approaches on which they are to be baptized, let the bishop exorcise each one of them so that they that he will be certain whether each. Has been purified. If there are any who are not purified, they shall be set apart. They have not heard the word in faith, for the foreign spirit remained with each of them. So this is almost this idea that every person who hasn't heard the gospel basically has what some kind of evil spirit, and so they have to be exorcised even before they can move forward. So isn't it weird? Like there's almost like It's just so weird. Like, you've got to basically prove yourself that you're worthy of the gospel. It's not that the gospel makes you worthy. You've got to become worthy of the gospel by what? Your actions. Isn't that the crazy... Like, is that not diametrically opposed to everything that we supposedly believe as Christians? But they're the early church. Yeah, yeah. I mean... That, that, that's, that's hard to comprehend. Next paragraph. Let those who are to be baptized be instructed that they bathe and wash on the fifth day of the week. If a woman is in the manner of a woman, let her be set apart and receive baptism another day. Right? I think we can all understand that. A specific time, when are you supposed to be washed? Fifth day of the week. Fifth day of the week. All right. Right. And, uh, and if a woman is in the manor, in other words, your menstrual cycle, what is she to do? Wait till another day. Right. Everybody kind of got that? Yep. All right. Then, uh, okay, I'm just looking. I was looking at some footnotes here. All right, next. Those who are to receive baptism shall fast on the preparation of the Sabbath. Now, very interesting. Once again, what are we finding? Fasting. So fasting is a common denominator here. Instruction and fasting is common, over and over and over. Instruction and fasting, instruction and fasting. This has a three-year period of instruction, okay? Which clearly, yeah, this doesn't appear to be infants, obviously, all right? So, but we'll see if if they bring the infants into this, all right? Uh, I don't believe they gave time periods. I don't believe they gave time periods. Okay, I don't believe. Okay, and the demon thing is new too, or the evil spirit. But, and, but please note though, do you see something interesting here though in that paragraph that we just started reading? Those who are to receive baptism shall fast on the preparation of the Sabbath. Does anything jump out at you there? Well, well, I don't know if they're worshiping on the Sabbath, but they clearly are using Sabbath language. So the, most of the preparation of the Sabbath would either be Friday and they're holding to the Sa- Sabbath on a Saturday, or they're referencing Sunday as a Sabbath, which is what well, some believe happens. Sorry, or, right. Right. I, yeah, my note says as well, but I'm saying that you, you only have a couple of, you have a lot of, of things to deal with here, right? Because you do know, I want to make sure everyone understands, that there's a large number of Christians who believe Sunday is now the Sabbath and we are the false Sabbath rules. Everybody understands that, right? I mean, everybody knows that, right? right I think. Yeah, well, everybody knows what? Okay, everybody needs yeah, to pay attention. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's common within many Reformed churches. Sunday is the Sabbath. It's the Lord's Day. Oh yeah. So that you I don't even refer to it as the Lord's Day. Refer to it as the Sabbath. Yeah. It's the Christian Sabbath. So guess what you do on your whole day is that's how come in many in many traditions you come to church you get to church about eight o'clock in the morning and you're going home around three or four in the afternoon. So you're gonna you're gonna have Sunday school. You're gonna have a sermon. You may eat. Then you're gonna have catechesis. Then like you know it, it's like because it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Now, uh, that, that's, uh, that raises lots of questions, right? Because uh, now, sometimes it's really weird. They call it the Sabbath, but then they kind of modify the rules. Like, so where do you get the rules for the Sabbath if it's the Sabbath, right? So then it's kind of like a Christianized version, but where do you get the rules from? So I'm saying here, most all the footnotes say they were holding to what being the Sabbath? They were holding to Saturday being the Sabbath. It seems that that's how they, 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 they did this, it appears. All right, uh, says, uh, it says, which where were we at? Uh, okay, here we go. Those who are to receive baptism shall fast on the preparation of the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, those who are to receive baptism shall be gathered together in one place, chosen according to the will of the bishop. They shall be commanded to pray and kneel. Once again, this completely uh, uh, eliminates infants here. Then laying his hand on them, he will exorcise every foreign spirit, so that they sh- that, so that they flee from them and never return to them. When he has finished exorcising them, he shall breathe on their faces, seal their foreheads, ears, and nose. Then he shall raise them up. Now that, that's weird. Raise them up? Is he? What, what do you think he's referring? What do you think they're referring to here? Yeah. Now. You think off their knees, Uh, they're kneeling, kneeling, right? Okay. Uh, That the yeah, which is weird because when you think of them, um, he breathes on their faces, and then and then uh, their faces and seal their foreheads, ears, and noses. Do you know what the the seal is? Sign of the cross. Sign of the cross. Okay. Okay. Right? Isn't that interesting? Right. Making the sign of the cross. Yeah. Right. OK. So, again, when, when, when you read this, I, we always have to be willing to acknowledge this as non-Catholics. We have to be willing to acknowledge how Catholic the early church was. I mean, there's no way to get around it. Like, I mean, when the early church, when the Catholic church says we're following the practices of the early church, you would be foolish to argue with them right? Does everybody understand that? I mean, because this is very Catholic-like, is it not? All right. Uh, They shall all keep vigil all night, reading and instructing them. Once again, this eliminates whom? Infants, once again. Those who are to be baptized are not to bring any vessel, only that which each brings for the Eucharist. It is indeed proper that each bring the oblation in the same hour. At the hour in which the cock crows, They shall first pray over the water. When they shall come to the water, the water shall be pure and flowing. That is the water of a spring or a flowing body of water. Now, once again, this goes back to the Didache, right? What kind of water? Running water. Tertullian didn't really say much about running water, did he? I don't think he did. Who knows? Who knows? Tertullian said a lot of things that we still don't know exactly what he was talking about. Okay? But he talked about water a lot. But, I, you know, but here, clearly, they wanted a running water. It's just interesting. Right? Meaning, which immediately tells you what? Uh, don't you think it hints at immersion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you going to a spring or running water if all you're going to do is drop a couple of drops of water on a baby's forehead? Because one, clearly, they're not referring to babies. And secondly, they're clearly seeming to indicate what kind of practice. Immersion. I, th- I think that that seems. I think that's fair. Right. Here we go. They shall take off all their clothes. Children shall be baptized first. All the children who can answer for themselves, let them answer. If there are any children who cannot answer for themselves, let their parents answer for them or someone else from their family. Now, immediately, that seems to indicate possibly infants, which seems to then violate what? All the, other, all the rules that seem to precede it. So why, how can you have children who can't answer for themselves? Well, it's hard to be a four-year-old if they've been instructed for three years. Okay, right? No, 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 start off as a four-year-old. Oh, start off as a four. Okay, yeah, seven. Okay, yeah, maybe. Well, I'm just saying, if they can't answer for themselves, why would you baptize them? Because you won't know if they instruction, you shouldn't. But I, I can tell you why there's so many, I can tell you why there's so many variables. I can tell you why. Because I, there's, a, there's a clear reason why. Well, and you probably already know the reason. We'll talk about it in a minute, all right? But so, if the children can't answer, someone answers for them. Um, after this, the men will be baptized. Finally, the women. After they have unbound their hair and removed their jewelry, no one shall take any foreign object with themselves down, in, in a plot, down into the water. But please note what kind of baptism you're having here. You have an immersion, but what other kind of baptism are you having here? Something else. They're not wearing any clothes. Okay? You can't take anything with you into the water. Nothing. Now, find me a church willing to practice nude baptisms. Do you think that would go over? Hey, we're following the early church. Okay? Okay? Nobody's going to follow this, which again demonstrates what? I can't state this enough, and I know I'm going to offend anyone listening online, but I believe the whole study of church history is just an absolute fraud. It really is, because people don't study it. They study it. They, they, they just look for what agrees with them. Church history is simply a weapon to utilize in a theological debate. I've right? got a theological debate. If I can find something in church history that proves I'm right, that I get an extra point. But that's not the way, because, no, because if we're really honest, if every, same thing bothers me when people go, I wish we could go back to the Acts 2 church. Do you really want to go back to the Acts 2 church? Does anybody want to go back? First of all, you'd sell all your property. You'd be going to church every day. every day, okay? Nobody wants that. So then, stop saying we want the early church. Everybody says I want to go back to the early church. No, you don't. You want to get baptized in the nude? They'll find what like in chapter 17. Yeah, they'll. I find one thing they like and say that's what I want. Okay, well then, it's it's just it's just all a. Uh, uh, that's a facade. I, the whole thing just drives me crazy. All right. Uh, next, at the at the time at the time for baptism, the bishop shall give thanks over some oil. Now we got the oil again, right? That seemed to be a common thing, right? Which he puts in a vessel. It is called the oil of thanksgiving. He shall take some more oil and exorcise it. It is called the oil of exorcism. A a deacon shall hold the oil of exorcism and stand on the left. Another deacon shall hold the oil of thanksgiving and stand on the right. When the elder takes hold of each of them, you who are to receive baptism, he shall tell each of them, renounce, saying, I renounce you, Satan, all your service and all your works all he has, after he has said this, he shall anoint each with the oil of exorcism, saying, Let every evil spirit depart from you. Then after these things, the bishop passes each of them on, passes each of them on nude to the elder who stands at the wa- water. They shall stand in the water naked. A deacon likewise will go down with them into the water. When each of them to be when each of them to be baptized has gone down into the water, the one baptizing shall lay hands on each of them, asking, "Do you believe in God the Father Almighty?" And the one baptizing shall answer, "I believe." He he shall then baptize each one of them, laying his hand upon each of their heads. Then he shall ask, "Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Spirit?" Uh, and, the Virgin Mary, uh, and the Virgin Mary, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and died, and rose on the third day, living, uh, living from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the one coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, immediately you know what they're being asked to agree with. The Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed. Right. Uh, when each has answered, I believe he shall baptize, be ba- shall baptize a second time. Then he shall ask, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church and the resurrection of the flesh? Then each being baptized shall answer, I believe, and thus let him be baptized a third time. So they were immersed how many times? Three times. Why? Because the Apostles' Creed is broken down into how many sections? Three sections. God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian in formula, Trinitarian in structure. All right. What's interesting is what's not mentioned here. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, all three are mentioned, but it's just interesting. right? Afterwards, when they have come up out of the water, they shall be anointed by the elder with the oil of thanksgiving, saying, I anoint you with the holy oil in the name of Jesus Christ. Then drying themselves, they shall dress and afterwards gather in the church. Finally, they can put on some clothes. Yeah, that's a long time with no clothes. Okay, okay, do what? be in the summer. Okay, right. But it's just. But I mean, the, the I just find it like we can look at this as interesting or a novelty. But I just I, I cannot stress to you why when people talk about what the early church did, nobody wants. To, nobody's doing it this way. Nobody. Catholics don't do it this way. Greek Orthodox doesn't do it this way. Baptist doesn't do it this way. Church of Christ doesn't do it this way. Nobody does. Not only that, clearly, this clearly without any debate. Uh, (laughs) Well, you would, right. But what I want you to see, there is no argument that this promotes immersion. There is no argument. Three times. Because both people are going down into the water. This is not this is not promoting spring. Even the children are being clearly immersed. Which I think would argue they're clearly not infants. Why there's some who can't answer for themselves, I don't know. But clearly this is not this destroys infant baptism clearly this destroys sprinkling, clearly this promotes immersion, and clearly it demonstrates that all the talk about the early church is just trash because nobody cares what the early church did unless the early church does something that we want to do, and then we use them to prove our point. And so like that, this whole started when I got that, had to talk to those people on that Saturday and got ambushed by all the people who started attacking me. And early church, early church, early church. None of them want the early church because none of their churches do it this way I, because they were either Presbyterian or Lutheran. And give me a, just, and, and I was supposedly the stupid Baptist who doesn't know anything about church history. And it's just, there's, there's nothing more frustrating than that because they can take their arrogance and go somewhere else because they, they don't follow the early church. No one follows, can we all agree, no one follows the early church. If if you want to follow the early church, the closest options you have are basically Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholicism. And nobody wants that uh, uh, from the non-Catholic side. All right? Uh, So finally, they dress, and then the bishop, uh, the... Continuing here, there's, there's not, I guess there's a little bit more here we can discuss. The bishop will then lay hands upon them, invoking, saying, "Lord God, you have made these worthy of the removal of sins through the bath of regeneration." Immediately, though, what does that show you? Salvific, Salvific. yeah, Yeah, sacramental, sacramental, salvific, whatever word you want to use. All right, so these had to wait three years to be saved. They had to prove themselves worthy of the gospel. They had to pr- prove themselves worthy of being saved, which is just crazy. <laughs> salvation doesn't make you worthy. You have got to be worthy of getting salvation. It's just absolutely crazy, all right? Make them worthy to be filled with. Say, make them worthy to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Well, you had to be worthy for them to even get to the baptism. Um, grant them, grant to them your grace that they may serve you according to your will. For to you is the glory, Father and Son, with the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Church, and now and throughout the ages, age of ages. Amen. After this, he pours the oil into his hand, laying his hands on each of their heads, says, "I anoint you with the holy oil, in uh, God the Father Almighty, in Christ Jesus, and, and in the and the Holy Spirit." Then, after sealing each of them on the forehead, he shall give them the kiss of peace and say, "The Lord be with you." And the one who is being baptized shall say, "And with your spirit." So shall he do to each one. There you have it. Now, on one hand, if we want to go to the, if we want to go to, we can stop reading there. Uh, uh, no, I uh, believe Catholics do, and I believe Greek Orthodox do. Yeah, they still do. Yeah, yeah, they do, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So, a couple of things. On one hand, if we look back in church history, we can, we can feel good because we can say clearly it was immersion, right? So, we can feel good for our side. However, from Tertullian and from Apollitus, they view it to be sacramental and salvific, which we would then be like, no, we disagree with, Right? However, none of them clearly lay out any details of baptizing infants. None of them. None of them. And you you can pretend all day. You can try to read it into that. If they're they're baptizing eight-day-old babies, clearly there would have been different instructions. Clearly there would have been different instructions. And they don't even try to articulate those instructions. They don't do that in any way, shape, or form here. They're not like, well, okay, for the baby, obviously we're skipping the three-year... Instruction. Clearly, we're skipping the fasting clip. Like we're going to be skipping all of these things. Okay. Well. Okay. Right. Yeah. You're not going to be asking them to to recite the apostle to agree to the apostles. You're not going to be doing any of that. Alright, So clearly, babies weren't involved. So for us, we can look back to church history and go. Clearly, babies weren't being baptized, and clearly, immersion was the practice. Others would say, however, you guys are wrong because clearly. Everything after the Didache makes it salvific, makes it required for salvation. However, we could turn around and go, but wait a minute, they made it salvific, but you had to work three years to be worthy of the salvation, okay? So that's a, that's a major problem, right? Like, I mean, nobody's doing that. Hey, before you get baptized, we need to see your, we need to, you need to fill out an application and we've got to verify how good a person you've been. The heart. Go on, yeah, obviously, yeah, they're, they're ignoring the heart. They're just ignoring external that's just behavior. behavior. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's a whole separate subject we're going to get to here in a minute. So, but yeah, I mean, so, but you see how we, everyone can grab a certain part of it. Everyone can grab a certain part and say, our side wins. And we can go, but we can go, but what, are, our side wins. Clearly, all these were sort of church oriented. Oh, true. So the church, oh, truly. Being in like you're a, yeah. Yeah, clearly connected to the church. Right, right. And, well, Catholics would argue it proves their system. Yes. Catholics would argue it proves their system. So, yeah, I mean, we can, but I just want you to realize how everyone can grab certain parts to their advantage. And that's how people play with church history. And that's, that is not the way, I, 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 people will often ask, so what do you do with church history? Here's what we do with church history. If we, if we believe what we claim, right? What we claim, what we claim is that what's the final authority? That's what we claim. Now, I don't believe we really believe that, but that's what we claim. So because we claim this is the final authority, then for those who believe Scripture is the final authority, then what do we do with church history? We just look to church history and go, that's what they did. It, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we agree with it or disagree with it. It has no bearing on us. It, has no be- it, it does raise questions on why they were doing it. But let's be fair... Let's, everyone grab a Bible dictionary really quick. Grab a Bible dictionary. We're going to go, we're going to try to do this quickly and I want someone to make a list where you can, uh, we can write down all these dates, all right? Start with, look up Matthew and give me a date of its writing. You can use your study Bible, you can use whatever tool you have. All right, we're going to go quick, all right? Matthew, give me a date for its writing. Let's see if we have agreement here. We don't. We don't need to have to have the who wrote it, but just okay. Uh, how? What year? Okay, that's 50 A.D. Okay. All right. Oh wow. Well, that's a big difference. Okay. We got 130. Okay. I've got 55 to 65. All right. We got some serious disagreements here. Okay. All right. We got. F- Okay, 130, all right? So, someone write down Matthew somewhere between 50 and 130 A.D. All right, 50 to 130 A.D. Now, if it's 130, just please note, if it's 130, the problems that would arise from that. Well, no, it's after 70 A.D., so Matthew 24 would not be a prediction of, of the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., all right? That would, that would have profound impacts on how you read prophetic passages. That Jesus wasn't predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. It had already happened. All right? So that would have profound impacts. All right? So, uh, so we have 50 to 130. Okay, uh, go to Mark. Okay. All right, 60 to 130. Okay, what do you have? Say, 60 to 130. Did you have anything else? 60. What? 68. All right, I have 50 to 60. All right, we so massive differences again. So we're just going to put 50 to 130. It's going to be put 50 to 130. All right, Matthew was what? Okay, well, we need to then go back to Matthew. Yeah, okay. okay, all right, so okay. And make sure that wasn't the same thing with okay, all right, all right. Okay, y'all killing me. Y'all killing me. Killing me. I was like, that 130 date would cause some serious problems. Okay, all right, yeah, okay. Now I feel much better. Yeah, yeah, I was like, where are you getting these dates? Okay, all right. Okay, all right, look for Matthew. I just, there's no way we can have 130 for Matthew. That'd destroy how, I don't even know what I'd have to do with hermeneutics. Writing about AD 130, Papias, bishop of Hierapolis in Asia Minor, records Matthew collected the oracles in the Hebrew language and each interpreted them as best. Okay, that's someone writing about Matthew in 130. I know, so why is it not given the date? Because it's under authorship indeed. So it means it was already written prior to 130. All right, this is taking longer than, I thought we were going to be able to do this quick. Well, then it probably is like they were all right, so let's do this, okay? Let's, let's, let's change it. Someone make sure we're writing all of these down. Let's have Matthew, let's go from 50 to 65 A.D. 50 to 65 A.D. Let's go 50 to 65 for Matthew. 50 to 65, because I have to have it written before 70 A.D. or we just got too many problems. It's got too many problems there or at least I think you do, all right? Um, then Mark, we're going to put 50 to 60. We're going to put Mark 50 to 60. Okay, we got, okay, what? Okay. So it's got to be after 60. Do what? Let's go 50 to 68. Well, 50 to 68, because I got one right here that says 50 AD. So. This is the ultimate Bible guide who says 50. And it was written 50 60. Right, possible fifty between 50 and 60. Okay. So, I, I like Sarah's idea. Let's go 50 to 68. All right. All right. So, what do we got for Matthew? 50 to 65. 50 to 65. What do we have for Mark? 50 to 68. 50 to 68. All right. Now let's go to Luke. What do we have for Luke? Ooh, okay, we have Luke after 70 AD, okay, all right, so I have 60 to 61 here, so let's go 60 to 71 AD for Luke, oh, that after 70 raises so many questions, so many questions. Now, you could argue, just, just so that we know, because someone on the internet will raise this question. If it's written after 70 AD, does it cause a major problem? To me, it causes a problem because it's recorded after the fact, but it's supposedly recording the words spoken before the fact. But it's just, it's always easy. Do what? Yeah, yeah, big time, yeah. We've got the all of it, Discourse in Luke as well, yeah. So just, just, so, just everyone stop really quick. I want to make sure everyone understands this. If the Gospels are written after 70 AD, I know this is not what we're talking about, but everyone understands. The problem is that it's written after the fact. So you can claim, well, no, but we're recording the words of Jesus that were spoken before the fact. But it's easy to put those words in the mouth of Jesus saying he said this, predicting it, because now you're writing it after it happened. So you see why a skeptic would come along. But if you can demonstrate it was written before the event, then no one can argue that, it was, that they're putting words in Jesus' mouth because it was written before the event. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, Luke, we, uh, we're going to go, mine says 60 to 61, but we're going to go 60 to 71. We're going to go 60 to 71, right? That gives us John. John's going to be late, I believe. All right. I was going to say John's going to be late, but we're going to put 80 to 95 A.D. for John. 80 to 95 A.D. Or we may go. Yeah, we'll go 80 to 95. We could possibly go to 100, but 80 to 95. All right. So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So let's go through these. Matthew, when? 50 to 65, Mark, 50 to 68, right? Okay, Luke, 60 to 71, John, 80 to 95. Now, why is that significant? All of the Gospels are written prior to Tertullian, well, not the Didache. Didache may be right there in this time, right? Because we have it around between 60 to 100, Right. It's early, 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 right? And it seems that uh, clearly the Didache seems to be borrowing from the Gospel of Matthew. Big time. Big time. So... Well, we can go 50... To, again, you can get 50 sources on all of these dates. So we have to give ranges here. But, all right, so somewhere between... Well, we can go 50, but it has to be written... The Didache has to be written after Matthew is my judgment. My, my just my guess... There's just no way because you read the Didache; it's it's basically the first part of it's like the Sermon on the Mount. So I think it's borrowing from Matthew, unless whoever wrote the Didache was an eyewitness to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and they're recording it themselves, which could be a which we we could get into. But the bottom line is, so we have four Gospels that are written, let's say before 100 A.D. They're written. Completely done. Now, you take those four Gospels. What, if you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what, 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 what's going to be your theology of baptism? If you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Water? I think you're going to get immersion from it. I, I don't see how you're going to get sprinkling. Faith? Baptism? I think. Don't you agree? Okay, right? Well, I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John doesn't give us a lot of information here. Let's just remember, right? I mean, I don't know. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John doesn't really tell us the time span, does it? I mean, it gives us more details about John's baptism than it really does Jesus' baptism because Jesus doesn't really articulate. We don't have any record of what the baptism looked like after John. Yeah, you're bringing in Acts. Yeah, yeah. We don't get a lot of information. Right? So I'm just saying, if you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you basically have water, and you seem to have in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the infamous Mark 16 chapter is where all the debate begins, which seems to imply that it, some say baptismal regeneration, or it's required for salvation, but most believe Mark 16 doesn't even belong in your Bible, so that you get into a whole debate about that. You don't get a lot now. Look at Acts really quick, because Acts is where a lot of the debate really, really is found. Is in Acts. When is Acts written? A All right, sixty-two AD. All right, 62. It seems like Acts is much more agreement on Acts. Right? Okay, Acts is written too, which in some cases, well, yeah, we we could see the good or bad in this, but okay. Um, 61, 62. So you can put Acts 61, 62. So Acts 61, 62. Now, that means, before Tertullian writes, before Hippolytus writes, we know they have at least Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Now we don't know, how, you know. Again, we don't have a canon yet, right? So we don't know where who has access to what. But these are all written. Now you can see because Acts is there, because Acts is there you can see maybe where some of their ideas start trying to come from. Because Acts, you've got some things that kind of sound like baptismal regeneration. I think you may, but, you, but once again, it's interesting that with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, here's what we do know. Even though those were written prior to these guys, they still went with immersion, and they still didn't do anything about infant baptism. All right? So, uh, let's what would be another let's what would be another important book when you discuss baptism? Romans. Almost everyone goes to Romans for a discussion about baptism. When was Romans written? Because some take part of Romans and make it very much baptism or regeneration. We're going to have to stop 56, 57. Does we have agreement? Everyone 56, 57? All right. I'm going to look and see here what we have here. And 57. So we can put 56 to 57 for uh, Romans. All right. Wow. Do what? Right around the time of Acts. All right. So now you can see where, now, now you can at least understand and this is crazy because you see what, and you. We, this is hard for us to process. But these letters were out there. Yet Tertullian and Apollotus has got all of this stuff. That where is it coming from? Right? Do you see any of this kind of? Uh, thing? Look at how elaborate all of the, Tertullian and Apollotus makes it. Do you see that? And and, and when people are baptized in, and, and uh, no, they're like. There's water, they receive the word, and they're baptized in Acts. That seems common, yes. And they just seem to go into the water. Like, there's this elaborate exercise, demons, remove all your clothing, anoint with oil. There's none of that. So immediately, things started being what? Added. Innovations. Innovations. <laughs> <laughs> Which Hippolytus was fighting against the? I wonder what I I wonder what innovations he was fighting against because he is filled with innovations, right? Isn't that crazy? Uh, well, they I don't know if that they would have their letters. We would have to look. I don't don't know. Who knows? Who knows? So uh, another important, 1 Corinthians comes into play. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. When was 1 Corinthians written? When was 1 Corinthians written? And we'll have to stop with this one. Okay. All right, we have 55, 56. All, so we got a lot of these all happening pretty close to the same time. 55. I think we have pretty much agreement. It's the Gospels which sometimes you get lots of debates in when they're written, but the, the epistles, seem, in most cases, are relatively more certain. So we have 55 to 56 for 1 Corinthians. All right, so well, here's what we know between, basically, before, because... The Didache, and, and if you think about it, the Didache is written around this same time, right? And what does the Didache have? It, the Didache seems to capture the simplicity that we find in the Gospels. The Gospels does not make this an elaborate ceremony. Right? What's the first recorded baptism after Jesus gives the Great Commission? What's the first recorded baptism after Jesus... Uh, It would have to be in Acts, obviously, right? So what's the first recorded baptism in Acts? The first recorded baptism, just just look at Acts real quick, just look at, obviously it's got to be Acts. Now, the Bible says that the disciples were baptizing people, but it doesn't give us any explanation. So, what's the first recorded baptism Right. No, that's a verse telling a We need an example of the first recorded baptism. The, uh, no, no, I, we, I, there's got to be before that. You're, I, I think you're in the right chapter in Acts. Where, where does it describing people being baptized? What does it say happens? Where's the first recorded baptism? You don't have to look up the word. It, nobody knows where the first recorded baptism is? Man, we got to start doing some some Bible drills is what we got to start doing. Acts 2.41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Right? I mean, isn't that the first recorded one, or am I missing something? Well, yeah. We knew that one, but we we're starting at the beginning to there was any Okay, no, that's the first one. Is it not, or am I wrong? Oh, I was close. I said two yeah, I know. I, that's why I was saying you're right there, but, but that's the recorded one, right? Yeah. Does it give any example of what, how it takes place? There's no, there's no, like, it was this elaborate ceremony. Obviously, it could have been an elaborate ceremony, right? Because they receive the word and immediately are baptized, and how many? 3,000. It wasn't some elaborate. Did they wait three years? So where did all of this come from? And then what's the second recorded baptism? Would you say that they were kind of going off the example of John the Baptist, though? And that John the Baptist didn't do a big ritual deal. Really, oh, yeah, yeah. John the Baptist didn't either, right. Were... Well, I'm saying, but where did Tertullian and all of them others with these elaborate system? Like, that's what I'm trying to say is what, what happened. All right. Where's the next recorded baptism? We'll end with this one. Where's the next one? There's the first one. Where's the second recorded baptism? Where do you think the next one is? We definitely know where the first one is. I could be wrong. I, could, I think it's 8. I could be wrong, but I think it's chapter 8. And what happens in chapter 8? Philip. Philip and the, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Yeah. And how does, the, how does the baptism take place? And as they, verse 36, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized, baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Is there any elaborate ceremony? Is there a three-year... It didn't have time to put oil the oil. There's no oil? There's no elaborate ceremony. There's a, 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 nothing about taking off clothes. They, there was no exorcism of demons. There was nothing. It was just, there was, there was no fasting. Even the Didache, where does the fasting come into play? Isn't it weird that like, when we go to the scripture, we, I mean, it's just like, do you believe? Then baptize, right? Yeah, believe baptism. Believe baptism. Believe baptism. None of that. Or- None of that. So, what do we immediately? What do we see? Either one, the early church didn't believe the scriptures was the ultimate authority, and that they could add to it, which raises all kinds of questions. Or two, it just immediately shows that right out of the gate, Mark said, "Go." they started moving away from Scripture. Uh, possibly. Now, they could have been trying to bring some of their, because obviously the early church would have been predominantly Jewish. Maybe they started trying to bring it. We don't know exactly what happened, but the point is we know that what we read in Tertullian and what we read in Apollotus, and even what we read in the Didache, is not like what we read in the first recorded two baptisms. The The very first two baptisms... Three thousand people immediately that day. day. There's no, there's no, there's nothing like that, right? I mean, that we, there's just, I mean, it's just, it's just so different, and that's what, that's what I want us to see. All right, we, we, we may do one or two more um, lessons on this. What we may do is we may uh, take a, a Sunday. Or a Wednesday night, and just look up every verse that mentions baptism, and just see what we can. Which one? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I don't know if we can. Yeah. What was he doing? What was the innovations he was bringing in that Apollotus was so anti-pope? Yeah. What was the What was the church doing that Apollitus had so many problems with? Okay, okay. But, yeah I, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what was the Pope doing that was causing the problem? Because all I know is that politics is adding all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. At least compared to this. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We thank you for an opportunity for us to struggle through these issues, to look at church history. Forgive us for how we've used church history for our own advantage. Let us, Lord, always be just honest with that's what happened in the past. But your word is the authority. If we truly believe that, then we, would, we will live according to that in all of our pursuit of truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,